You are listening to Awaken ADHD, a podcast where people share their ADHD stories, life before and after diagnosis, support strategies, strengths and challenges. Hi, I'm Jade and I'll be your host. I'm a counsellor, ADHD coach and fellow ADHDer. So join me as we awaken ADHD. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm here today with Tegan and awakening to her ADHD, Tegan often jokes that she's no longer unique. Oh. All her special Teganisms were just undiagnosed ADHD. Tegan is a court business analyst, a law student, avid reader, though not uni-related, with current hyperfixation on wanting to learn tap dancing and the hurdy-gurdy, which I had to Google and I'll get her to explain, <laughs> and mass purchasing of house plans for her fiancé to keep alive. Okay, welcome, Tegan. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Jade. So the hurdy-gurdy, please, for our listeners. Oh, my gosh. Yes, so my brother, who is quite ADHD-minded as well, although undiagnosed, I went over to his place and he's like, oh, I'm going to put on Patty Gertie. And I'm like, what's that? And it's this incredible musical instrument. And I grew up playing the violin, but it's a more historical version of the violin where you use a crankshaft type thing. I don't know, but it's cool. And, um, and my brother thinks so too, but neither of our partners will allow us to buy one. But one day, one day, it's on my so list. The moment you're in researching phase... Mm, mm. <laughs> I messaged him, I'm like, James, $2,600 on Etsy, do you want to go halves? <laughs> and, um, and my fiancé says, you've got two violins, potentially you could play those. And I go, oh, yeah, they're mm. boring now. No, you could sell them and swap it for your hurdy-gurdy. Oh, I mean, I could, but. I just like the word hurdy-gurdy. I'm just gonna... Isn't it brilliant? It's going to be stuck in my head now for a long time. <laughs> I just watched The Little Mermaid on the weekend and it stuck in my head just on the is page. it good it's We're very good. excited to see it it's good but the songs are going to be stuck there on a loop mainly just a few verses of one song over and over again for the next six months so good times awesome. yeah well we love our brains for that don't we <laughs> all righty so let's just kick off with um when you first awakened adhd within yourself what happened well as you know uh, it's very, very, very new for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I have only had an, a formal diagnosis for three months. And other than that, it was more a couple of years ago when I was speaking with my therapist and I said a phrase that's always stayed with me in that I said, the, the inability to action things in my life is crippling. Inability to action things is crippling. Yeah, so there were a couple of scenarios and it could have just been house stuff or um, at the time I was moving and my my boyfriend was helping me move and I couldn't get to the packing stage. I was like, I don't need to, I'll just chuck everything in the car. And he said, with you not doing this task, you've created a lot of work for the people around you. And he didn't mean it as as a criticism, but it was a criticism, but it was more so 
when you don't do this, it affects all the people around you that then need to pick up and help you. And it was really poignant because I thought, oh, I had never thought about it that way, the impact on everyone else. Um, and at that time, when I spoke to my psychologist and she had suggested, you know, had I ever considered, you know, whether or not I fell into the bracket of ADHD. And I just thought, absolutely not. ADHD is like we know, it's young boys in school that are running around, that are crazy, that are so busy and busy in their bodies. And then understanding that for me, that busyness is not in my body, but in my mind. Busyness is not in your body, but in your mind. Yeah, that that really resonates with so many women that I speak to and so many people around them say, ADHD, no, you don't have ADHD because nobody can see inside your mind, right? That's right. And for me, when I spoke to my friend and I said, oh, I'm, you know, kind of thinking that I have ADHD and she said, no, she said, you're one of the most successful, focused organized smart intelligent women i know you don't have adhd and i said but that's not a measure of whether or not i have adhd or not no not at all but there are those misconceptions aren't there very much so yeah yeah okay can uh, you sorry no 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 sorry you go i was just gonna to ask what that journey to diagnosis was like for you it's from when it was suggested to me and my wonderful psychologist said you don't have to do a lot of research but maybe when you're on TikTok look at the experiences that other women with ADHD have because you might think that that behavior is normal well neurotypical we'll use instead of normal um she said but you might just resonate with people that have this diagnosis and in doing that, I, like I said in the introduction, was like, oh, maybe I'm not unique and I do all of these things as well. So it was a lot of um, fact finding and reading. And I was very lucky um, in the last couple of years, it's certainly become more prominent as I've led into my 30s. And I'm not sure whether I've just unmasked, as we say, or whether I've stopped overcompensating for the things that I haven't been able to do, but definitely embracing. So, the, are you saying that as you have kind of matured, you know, into your later twenties? Is that right? Yes, that, correct. That the veil has been dropping. You haven't been trying as hard to to cover up things that would be. Um, I think so. I think also I've had people around me um, that have helped kind of demonstrate to me or have highlighted the things that I've struggled with and not in an unkind way or a, a way that isn't compassionate, um, but certainly just some highlights on the things that I haven't been doing or things that I do that are maybe a little neurospicy. Neurospicy. Do you know who's some of your neurospicy? Yeah, I actually attempted to write a list because as you know, we would forget. Um, I, I recall a couple of years ago when this, when my psychologist talked about this um, ADHD diagnosis, but prior to me engaging her, I 
spoke to a doctor and like, I just feel like I zone out and I disassociate and I just freeze in time and I can't hear anything and I don't know what's happening. My partner at the time would poke me and I'd come out of it and I was like, I don't know, is that like a form of epilepsy? Like what's wrong? Is it this really deep trauma? Has something happened that I've covered up? And now I have this understanding of it's overwhelm, it's overstimulation. And that's been so gratifying for me to just go, oh, I'm just, I'm just having some space and coming within myself to just soothe in what I need in that moment. But it's always very bizarre when it's times when I was at work, potentially, or a pole dancing class, and I'm just standing there looking off into the distance with a vacant expression on my face. So that's certainly been something that has uh, outlined my neurospicing. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was speaking to somebody the other day, another fellow adhd and we were kind of talking about the, a version of that, but maybe not necessarily overstimulated, but maybe engrossed in a thought or one of the billion thoughts that are running through your head. And what it reminded me of when I kind of go blank like that is, have you ever heard of the, the term cloth ear for dogs? When they're out sniffing and you can be calling your dog and they're two metres away and they just do not hear you at all. Yes. And then you have to go and touch them and then they kind of spin around like, oh, where'd you come from? And that's what it reminds me of. My husband can be talking to me and I'm not hearing him at all, but I have great supersonic hearing. And then he touches yes. me and I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, I think for so long, I had no idea what that was. It's, and it's only very new that, that I do understand that. And I think... <laughs> Another thing that's kind of come up for me in understanding ADHD, and it was only when I connected with a friend, a friend who through having our mutual diagnosis, we've become the best of gal pals. Um, and we caught up and she said, oh, I'm, I always write. Like I'm always writing with my hands. There's no pen writing what people say and writing what I hear on the television. And I was like, stop. And I had tears because I was like, I've never known anyone to do that. My dad used to put his hand on my hand to stop me from writing what I was hearing just on the couch and just mimicking that writing. When I was in class once, one of my friends thought I was taking notes and I wasn't. It was just my hand listening and processing, which we know now is like a stim. Yeah, you're you're moving to process. Yes. I had no idea and this beautiful friend said, oh, I do that too. And I was like, oh, I had never felt more validated. But I wow. didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what my brain was doing. And more often than not, I didn't even know I was doing it. But I remember you those times. You were I just thought it was a Tegan <laughs> thing. Yes. And and I think the other thing that, they, that a few women say on TikTok is that overwhelming shopping centres. The noise, the lights, the variation. And I remember my my ex-partner saying to me once, why are you manic in the shops? It's like, I don't know what happens, but you get all weird. And I never knew. It's just there's too much going on and I don't know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, it's overwhelming. I I was recalling the other day the 
um, a food court. Like I don't like eating in food courts and now I understand why. Firstly, there's too many people, too many lights, too many sounds and too many choices. And I just get paralysed and and yes. freeze and then I walk out hungry. And you walk out with nothing you went in to buy. I think that's, <laughs> we can go in and be like, oh, I need this and this and this and this and I get none of that. You just come out with a hurdy-gurdy instead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Were there more of the things on your list of these neuro-spicy things? I I spoke to my partner this morning and I said, oh, what are the things? And she's like, there's so many. Um, But one of of the things that her and and my, my previous partner, Julian, would often joke about or we would always reflect on was the petrol situation in the car. Oh, the petrol. How long can we ride on empty? Oh, my goodness. It's the worst task. And there was a time when I was in the car with Julian and he said, you're on empty. It's a petrol station right here. going to get petrol. And I said, no, I don't want to get petrol. He's like, you're on empty. We're right here. We're getting petrol. I said, I don't want to. And it's And he pulled up and I said, I'm not doing it. And he's like, so we're right here. And you won't put petrol in the car. I said, no, you need to leave. And I could never explain that. And it hurt in my body to be told that I had to do this task that I did not want to do. Uh, you had to do it and you didn't want to do it and you felt it inside your body. That is something a lot of ADHD is describe. I felt that this week with tax. I'm of course really embodied like very very painful physically to do it and it's hard to explain isn't it it's so hard to explain it's so hard to understand what that is and it's the same when I do get overwhelmed and overstimulated and I just shut down and I just it's just blank and I could be discussing a topic that I'm so passionate about and if someone it's that rejection sensitivity, isn't it? If someone goes, oh, and it's not a criticism, but, hey, I want to know more about that. Can I probe you on that? They might ask the question on a topic that I'm so passionate about and I just get overwhelmed and I just go blank because I worry that their response to that is, yeah, this rejection, this disapproval, this belittlement of my views, which is absolutely not the case and it's been really hard to reconcile that and have conversations that are impactful and help people understand but also feel as though you're being criticized when you're absolutely not i struggle with that that seems really really difficult Uh, there's this i can relate to it in the sense that um you know if, if i'm in a test or a trivia I can't recall anything, even if it was about my favourite band, when it's trivia because I'm under the pump. But there's this added layer for you about the perceived rejection in even what you're talking about, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And if they're not interested in what you're talking about, then they're rejecting you? Yeah. Is that right? That rejection sensitivity, which, like I said, I've only just been able to put a label to it, has been so gratifying and validating to know a it's a thing and b it's linked to adhd because there's 
so many times that I would, I'm upset or I withdraw just for this perceived rejection that is not reality. Mm. It's not reality, but it's very hard to, and just to shut down, just to shut down. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So going back to that journey to diagnosis, what what was that like for you? Okay, so we got to a certain point before we went down our other neurospicy <laughs> train of thought. What was the actual process like once you? So like I said, my psychologist brought it up a couple of years ago and we continued to discuss it but only in a light kind of, oh, have you thought about that a little bit more? Um, when I did a little bit more research, I said, yeah, I, I do think I align with a lot of that. And um, and she said to me, okay, I'm going to send you a quiz and just see where you go, see what comes up. And it was just a diagnostic tool, nothing formal. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was really high on all of that. And we talked about more so if I had a diagnosis, what would I want out of it? So before even going down that do I seek a formal diagnosis, but more so, well, would I be interested in medication? Because that always seemed really extreme. And there were some people in my life that certainly didn't agree with that path. Um, and I was like, well, if I don't choose a, a path that's medication, then what do I do? Where do I go? And which is when I was lucky enough to link in with yourself. And I think it was just a conversation about validation. And then I spoke to a doctor and my, my beautiful friend who has ADHD, Amy, she was like, this is my doctor. When I didn't get responses, she didn't let me give up. And it's so good. So I was very lucky to have her. Saw the doctor, um, got a ref. Well, actually, sorry, I'm going to step back. I saw just a standard one of those bulk billing GPs. And I was like, mm -hmm. I think I've got ADHD. And he said, oh, you don't have ADHD. You can sit still in a chair. And I was like, wow. That's okay. where the, the level of understanding is with some general practitioners. and That's right. I thought, okay. I said, well, this is something I want to pursue. And he had said to me, I think you're doing counselling and that's probably what you need. Um, keep going with that and then see. And then I was lucky enough that I saw a di different doctor and she's like, yep, cool we'll do a referral and I'll send it off to, to, to a psychiatrist. And I was very lucky to get an appointment within maybe four to six months. Yeah. So I was very lucky. That's amazing. Um, in that time frame. However, they did try to reschedule and I showed up anyway. So <laughs> I was a little pushy, but I was like, the more you, if you delay me, I'm just going to stop. For people with ADHD, we need it then and there. So I, I want this and I want this now when I guess having that big gap is the loss of enthusiasm and the loss of drive to do it. And I think that that was really hard to continue to keep up that enthusiasm. So difficult, so difficult. And and I know because I, you know, I gave up kind of halfway through my journey as well and then it was, you know, luckily kind of pushed and prodded by um, a couple of people in my life. But it, it is very hard because we have to advocate and we have to keep 
checking in and where are we in the triage and making calls and sitting on hold and checking emails and that's all really that follow-up that we don't do that's and then it's out of sight out of mind and you forget about it until something happens and you go oh I really probably do need some help I was very lucky and I had my appointment with a psychiatrist that I believe was supposed to be quite a significant assessment uh, but within 45 minutes, he had said, okay, Tegan, you've waited 32 years. You clearly have ADHD. Let's work on a plan. Really clear. Really clear. And what was that like, that moment for you? Um, I remember that I just felt, I kind of inhaled really quickly and I just felt this wash over my body that was scary and it was big, but validated. And how else has this diagnosis made a difference in your life? It's nice to just have this understanding that I'm not lazy. It's not that I don't want to do things. Um, I think that's been so hard, you know, with this inaction that I've said is has been so crippling and the outwardly expression of how we how other people perceive us is lazy you just don't care enough you just can't be bothered and now I go well actually I care a lot and I want to do this but I I can't and I'm not going to continue to try and provide excuses this is the reason and you know what that reason has a full stop on the end and I don't need to elaborate anymore yeah that's been sounds like it's quite empowering to advocate for yourself it's challenging because there's still that line historically through our lives being like when we don't do things always making excuses it's kind of towing this line of it's adhd or am i just lazy and i've made an excuse i i came home after i saw the psychiatrist um and they gave me the diagnosis and to my partner and she's like well we knew this this is great. We've got help. We've got a plan. And I said, yeah, but did I just trick him? Am I just that good? Like maybe I just said everything he wanted to hear. And, um, and she was like, no. <laughs> That's, no. no. Uh, I live with you. I know. <laughs> yes. How did ADHD show up in your life? Maybe in your past or in your family when you were little? I thought about this today. My mum would reject that I have ADHD and that's fine. But I always think that as, as a female, and I think this is quite common, is that I strive to overachieve. So I was always a pretty good student because I, I never did anything early. Everything was always at the last minute, but I did quite well doing the bare minimum. And I think, <laughs> I recall, I, you know, put my name forth to be like school captain in year 12, which was typically for people that were quite academically gifted or captain of the sports team. I had none of that. And I have no idea why I put myself in this position. And I think now it really was that demonstration that I was this person that I actually am not on the inside, this organised, put-together person that I just, my brain's chaos, but I never wanted anyone to know I was chaos. Right. 
inside it's all chaotic and so much happening there's all that action all that hyperactivity inside but on the outside you wanted to show i got this i'm cool calm cool collected calm successful you know, mm-hmm. thriving for all these great achievements. And I, that's a, a, a only relatively new reflection for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to kind of probe my parents a little bit. My, <laughs> I think I've told you once before, my dad used to always say as a child, I would write lists, get up, brush your teeth, wash your hair, put your shoes on, pack your bag. And he said, I just thought something was wrong with you. <laughs> bless him and that's so like, resourceful oh. of you so and it's like here i am helping giving myself strategies knowing that i was potentially forgetting things yeah um but at the same time i was always reading i was always growing always wanting to do everything so i can see why my parents have really struggled with this acknowledgement because i've always been successful and resourceful and intelligent and kind and apathetic and like empathetic towards people with compassion. Um, so it's, and very successful in my study and my schoolwork. I know it's because I do everything at the last minute and I wait for that hyperfixation. Mm-hmm. I have an exam on Wednesday this week. I've done nothing. I've done six hours over 12 weeks. Right. I'll do it all on Tuesday. Yeah. It's either the day before, the day of, and sometimes even the day after knowing I'll get a 5% penalty on assignments. Right. And so what is the cost? I'm really interested in what is the cost of this extra work you have to do to, to put that front on, to, to wear that mask of always in control, always got it sorted? Well, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I think coming into the ADHD, it's, it's certainly lifted a weight, but... I'm always someone who has lived extremely authentically and unapologetically myself. When I reflect on the struggles, I feel a lot of sadness and guilt for that Tegan that always had to kind of hide this and pretend and and mask this way. There's a lot of grief. And I think Mm -hmm. I've said to you before, I wrote it on a post-it note. I recall you saying to me, write a letter to yourself. And when you said that, I was like, oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. So instead I wrote post-it notes that are stuck all over the house. And the first one I write was processing grief for all the things I've missed living in my head. Wow. Processing grief for all the things I've missed for living in my head. Yeah, the good moments, the conversations, the interactions with other people, just always being busy and look I'm sure more often than not what's going on in my head might be more interesting than what what else is going on but I could nothing how to give people the attention and the time that they deserve to make that effort with me reflecting on that has been hard yeah it is quite a grieving process isn't it grieving for all those different versions of ourselves all those lost opportunities and you know, in relationships and connections like you're describing. What has changed? I hear the kind of unapologetic now. What else has changed for you? I think the biggest change is just the understanding of myself. I don't punish 
myself so much. And what I mean by that is when I had, for example, an assignment that I hadn't done or um, I had an exam and I've done no study and I would just plan to know that I needed to have a complete meltdown and I was so hard on myself, so hard on myself and I'll punish myself. Why am I like this? Why do I do this? I should know better. Next trimester, it's going to be different. And now I go, well, this is okay because you'll get your hyperfixation. It's not that you don't want to. You can't change this. Or at the moment, you, you're not, it, you, there's no capacity to change. So let's do what we have right now and not beat ourselves up because you're not lazy. You're wired differently. This self-compassion has been a really big, for you and I think for for many people I would say that that is the most important part of it for them it's hard to give that to yourself well very hard especially if the narrative you know the childhood narrative for many is lazy unfocused you know so many so many of those negative stories and I think when I interact with people who have ADHD ADHD or the community or I watch the TikToks or read the blogs or the memes and everything and there's this big push on having this hyperfixation of a hobby or moving into a new task and although I I do have those the Mm hurdy-gurdy I had an extremely impactful conversation with my friend Amy who has ADHD and she talked about that for her sometimes this hyperfixation could be on a scene from a movie, on a song, on <laughs> something going on at work. And I had this recollection maybe a couple of months ago and we watched this show and it was extremely sad um, and beautiful and wonderful, but it was, it was intense. And my brain for two days played on repeat this very tragic scene and I think I slept two hours in, within two days. I couldn't turn it off. It played over and over and over again. I'm trying to rewrite the narrative so I could soothe. And, and I, it was there. Every time I closed my eyes, this scene played. Wow. And understanding that that is also a hyperfixation. Yeah. I had never considered it. It is, for sure. Blows my mind. Every time I'm learning new things, and I can go, okay, I'm not holding on to something. My brain is processing it in its own weird, wonderful and beautiful way and I just got to write it out mm. instead of punishing myself and working so hard to turn it off because we can't. Just got to do its yeah. thing. So it's kind of going with the flow a little bit more and not, yeah, not beating yourself up for it. And you know, one of the questions I was asked are what are the strengths and struggles? And, you know, I, it's kind of like you were saying that hyperfixation is often seen as a strength or a superpower as some, as some people put it, but it also can be a struggle. What, what else do you relate to in the, you know, the strengths or the struggles? I find that the strengths also when we say we hyperfixate on things that we potentially don't want to hyperfixate on. 
So there's there's both, right? So my my strength is my hyperfixation the day before my study, or I'll write three and a half thousand word thesis in eight hours and get yeah. a distinction. That's awesome. But then I have the inability to hyperfixate when I want to, or I hyperfixate on things I don't want to. Uh-huh. I something I love, and I think it's also part of who I am and my personality, but also the ADHD. And both good and bad in, in both aspects is the busyness. Like I am always so busy. There is something going on all the time, but it means that I have the most incredible memories of things that I do. I am doing activities. I'm meeting new people. I'm going out. I'm having fun. I'm doing walks. I'm, you know, seeing new places and doing different things because, okay, maybe the negative is I can't sit still, but the positive is I have just so many incredible things that I do in my life and the way that I take up time is is pretty cool. It really gets you out and engaging in life is what I'm hearing. So much. And, like, I I have an example here that I wrote down is this busyness is, again, poor timing. So, for example, during COVID I was, you know, doing my law degree. I got a promotion so I had a new job. Um, I was doing some renovations in my apartment and I thought, you know what? Now's a really good time to become an egg donor in COVID. Why not? Just It was like, you don't have enough going on. Be busier. Be busier. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is I gifted hope to the most incredible family. I completely ran my body into the ground. But mm-hmm. I was like, mm, not doing enough. Need to be doing more. So that's part of your story. Yeah. You and I have talked a lot about just trying to calm those days where maybe I choose one task instead of the 17 I want to do Mm -hmm. Uh, but it means that there are times I can be really productive Mm. and that's cool yeah okay so is there any is there anything else you feel like you want to share about your journey or how it showed up for you or I need to acknowledge for me part of my journey was that the diagnosis and having an understanding of my brain did effectively end a relationship that I had. Um, Mm -hmm. My partner at the time, who is a phenomenal human being and, and, and my best friend now, and has done a lot of work on his personal professional development and a lot of research and has always strived to be the best version of himself. And wanted to give me the most helpful suggestions for managing time and tasks in his incredible neurotypical brain. And they never worked for me. And it's been so impactful to know that I don't have to fit into that box. Yep, I'm going to miss things and I'm going to forget things and I'm going to say, Someone's going to say, hey, remember this? Maybe you should write it down. I'm going to go, no, I'll remember it because I believe I'll remember it. No, no, I'm not going to remember it. You're not going to remember it, no. But it's been so beautiful to go, thank you for trying to give me the tools that work for you. They don't work for me and that's okay because here are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And that's been really, really helpful. And I'm very lucky now my, my partner <laughs> doesn't even try to give me any form of like she'll help me everywhere I can but she'll go you have ADHD just 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 give yourself a break don't worry about it and I'm just like oh 
How beautiful. Yeah. She organises everything. I obviously, as you know, because I'm sure you do too, just you put things around the house that make sense to you at the Mm -hmm. time. That make no logical sense. But she'll just go in her beautiful organised brain go, that doesn't go there and just move it back to where it should be. Mm -hmm. So it's. I think it's been really lovely to have people in my life that have tried to help me in all the ways, whether or not they've been beneficial or they haven't, but to now have this level of acceptance of people around me, be like, cool, we can always try to be better and try to do things better, but it's okay. Right. I think that's really important. Yeah, we can keep trying and, you know, creating different strategies for ourselves and, and you know, taking medication or whatever it is we do to help with some workarounds. But at the end of the day, there's going to be things that are really hard to shift and are our yeah. little quirks and and the people around us that love us can embrace them and be kind and non-judgmental about them. And you, you know what, at the end of the day, those things don't matter that, I always, you know, lose the kitchen scissors or something, right? (laughs) Uh, We had four pairs and now um, we have one. And Becca says, do you know what the scissors are? I'm like, "Mm -mm -mm -mm." I Mm. I have no idea. No, I I never know. What is it about the scissors? And then they end up in my bedside drawer, in my desk, in the bathroom. I'm like, I have no idea how they got there. And they're just putting random things in bags in a wardrobe. What's that about? I don't know. Makes sense. I will find Christmas presents from three years ago in bags and wardrobe, along with my favourite beanie. I still can't find my favourite beanie, just saying. <laughs> it's in a bag somewhere. Oh, the, the medication definitely helps with that stuff, I think, yeah. at times. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. I really appreciate you coming on. And so if you'd love to share your Awaken ADHD story, please reach out via awakenadhd.com.au. I'd really love to hear your story. So thanks again, Tegan. Thank you. And until next time. This podcast is not a licensed mental health provider. It represents the personal opinions and experiences of individuals. No content should be taken as professional advice or recommendation.